0: Welcome to TA1, everything you want to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, legendary Randy Erickson, here on a rainy Saturday night. I uh, had a nice good hike to uh the secret spot to view uh Mount Rushmore today. Spent some time filming with the drone, so not too bad. Um seven twenty four in the evening, Saturday night. I leave at six AM Monday morning and well, I've thought about packing to go to Raid Raid International Gaspassie, but uh I don't think it'll take too long. Plus, I got to get a hike with my friends uh, Dave and Mary Braley tomorrow, or at least Dave. I think Mary's going to paddle with Paulette, so still need all that stuff. Plus, a little more filming tomorrow. So, no use hurrying. Why well, not feel like an adventure racer and wait till the last minute? But at least I don't have to pack a bike and paddles and all that stuff, so... Um, it shouldn't take too long. Uh, one note on this week's episode: uh, at one point I'll talk about uh, Michael Michael Matson's podcast that we listened to last week, but that actually hasn't gone out yet because I decided to post this one because it's about Itera and thought, well, oh, let's just get it out. Um, so I need we're going to need some time to think about what Michael had to say. So. It'll be, I'm not going to promise on next week being gone. So, we'll see if we get one out. I'll try, but I'm not going to promise. So, um, you can split this one into two parts. Listen to half this week and half next week because it's a good one. It's a little little longer than normal, but it was really interesting. So, enough yammering. Go fast. Take chances. Don't forget your raincoat. And... uh, Thanks for listening.
1: Hello.
0: This is Randy.
1: Hello, Randy. <laughs> hey, Randy. <laughs>
0: Good to make your acquaintance. It is. <laughs> Technology is working. It's great.
1: <laughs> it is great.
0: So I was running a little late, and I don't want people to get the wrong idea, but I was power washing some of the logs. I have to do a little restaining on the house. So.
2: Yeah. Oh,
0: God.
2: House remodeling is something I never, ever want to do. <laughs>
0: Well, I discovered for me when I have to do something around the house, it's like, it's got to be when I'm not working because it's, you can't work on somebody's house all day and then come home and try and do a project. So, so I've been trying to redo our bathroom for about three years and just haven't had had time because other people want to pay me to do it. So why not?
1: I was going to say, that's probably a good sign from your uh, work standpoint there.
0: That's true. It's been nice. I've, uh. was was thinking about it. uh, I've only done like three real, really three jobs in the last five years. And I probably just started another job that's going to be a year. So that it is nice not to have to uh, be out there hustling all the time.
2: (laughs) Well, people need houses, I've learned. (laughs) I read about uh, business and Houses seem to be in demand always no matter what the economy's like, <laughs> okay. yeah,
0: you know what I've found with me is um people well, like my friend Gary bought a house, liked where it was, didn't like anything else I literally spent two years rebuilding it um, Tell me. but <laughs> he still spent a lot less money and got a you know a really nice custom you know bizarre, you know, not bizarre, but really cool place, huh. Go to, I think it's yeah. Well, Gary's, we're starting to look for our
2: first place here in Maine, so maybe we'll fly you out and have you uh, do a little consultancy <laughs> on what needs to be fixed.
0: Well, I, I can do that. I've I actually in, have got people in New Zealand that want me to come early next year for God's Zone to do a little work for them. So, ah, cool. That's we'll, a
2: good little connection you work there.
0: Yeah, we'll see if it really happens though. But <laughs> so, um, welcome to this old house
3: we <laughs> right.
2: so, um, can keep going I, I mean it's something i know very little about so, so. kind of like adventure racing
0: <laughs> well let's uh, let's all right let's get serious um introduce yourselves because you know i've discovered that people like to know who i'm talking to
2: yeah we're those people we'll, we i think we've yelled at you for uh, not knowing uh introductions, but it's gotten better you've gotten uh really good at at getting people to do that well I listen um,
0: yeah what's that I said I listen to I listen to the fans
3: (laughs) yeah
2: you're good Uh, the podcast is awesome by the way thank you Um, I will say um, so we I think we started listening to the podcast just as we started getting into the sport and it was such a huge help for us learning the ropes Mm -hmm. Um, we only started like Three years ago, yeah,
1: just about.
2: And we started with a six-hour race in Wisconsin, where we were living at the time, yeah. and um, kind of, it was like a sink or swim. We finished dead last. Um, <laughs> we you sank. We sank. <laughs> uh, but we kind of were like, "How the hell did we do so badly?" We were like, "There's no way we did that badly," <laughs> and kind of, we kind of got the bug from there and um, signed up for a ton more races. Um, finished shed last in all of them <laughs> and then started to slowly figure it out and um, things got a lot better when I handed uh, the navigation duties off to Kate so instead mm-hmm. of running around in circles and not finding any CPs we started um, walking directly to CPs which I found is a lot more efficient in this sport yeah. Um, yeah. but uh, yeah I, I guess so it, the team, Team Strong Machine is um, mainly uh, Kate, um, my, my wife, and myself, um, Cliff, and my dad, who's, uh, whose name is Starker, and he lives in Illinois. And we were all in the Midwest and um, had always wanted to try adventure racing, but had kind of been intimidated by it. Um, it seemed like the races were really long and arduous and um, involved a lot of gear and scared us off. Um, but I finally convinced everyone to sign up for one and, um, uh, we kinda all collectively got the bug mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. started doing more and more of them and, um, like I said, the results finally started getting a little better, um, and that was good motivation and started racing around the country just by chance. We were doing, we quit our jobs and moved to Maine last summer and, uh, I guess, um, while before our move, we did a big road trip out west and did a bunch of races around the country. Um, did nationals um, at and USARA science, yeah. a couple times, and um, then uh, decided to once again leap in over our heads and try try international expedition racing at ITERRA this year, uh, thanks to the somewhat dubious advice of our good friends at Rootstock Racing. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah they were probably laughing the whole time so well we'll we'll get to itera because uh yeah i really want to hear hear from you guys about it but um so cliff you and your dad started racing together first right
2: yeah so um we were big tv watchers when i was a kid uh we also would do occasional weekend camping trips but um we got uh, into, uh, like, I'm, I share, like, everyone on your show started watching Eco Challenge, and that's how they found out about adventure racing. Mm-hmm. Um, we are more of those people. Um, so we, we started watching it when I was a kid, and we were like, that just looked crazy. It looked, it, it, I literally had dreams about it when I was a kid. Um, and um, for my high school graduation present, uh, my dad signed us up for, like, a sprint race, It was like a balanced bar race. And looking back on it, it wasn't even really adventure racing. It was kind of like obstacle course racing. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, it was really, really fun. Um, And I kind of got the bug originally doing that race, um, but then ended up not really racing again for like a decade after that um, because I didn't really think I could do it and couldn't find anyone to do it with me. Um, So um, we kind of went on hiatus for... A bunch of years until, until Wisconsin when we were living together.
0: So, what do you think was the, well? What do you think made you start to get into it again? Um, well,
2: I I don't know. I think I either saw an ad or was googling around for adventure races in Wisconsin. Uh, I knew I was so my dad moved to Illinois um, when I was in right after high school when I was in college, um, and so we were kind of in different areas. Um, and then, um, after I married Kate, uh, we moved to Madison, Wisconsin, for her studies. She was getting a she was doing her like post doc yeah post doc um, and uh, so we were like an hour away from my dad and was like, "Oh, this would be fun to try again and saw saw the six hour race, the stubborn fool, um, which um, seemed pretty beginner friendly and kind of convinced everyone slowly to, to
0: give it a shot. (laughs) So how much, uh, how, how much arm twisting did it take then?
1: (laughs) It didn't take too much. I think, uh, I think all of us, you know, all of us are comfortable being outdoors and doing, you know, day long adventures or even weekend long or longer adventures. Um, so I think the idea of it wasn't too, wasn't too bad. It was more just like, sort of getting all the logistics together, the gear list, and, you know, oh, we have to get space blankets and, you know, things like that. So um, I don't think it took too much arm twisting initially. I think so.
2: We're not, like, neophytes to the outdoors. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I hiked the AT in 2005, and so spent a lot of time outdoors. Um, I used to lead kayaking trips uh, in, the, uh, in the Apostle Islands in Lake Superior. Um, and, uh, I did a trip in Alaska once. Um, and so, um, I felt comfortable with all the skills yeah. and uh, Kate and I had done a bunch of trips together too. We, uh, sea kayaking and lots of hiking trips. And so we were all really comfortable in the outdoors, but it was more of like, the, what? Maybe the
1: race aspect. Yeah. So like the, the whole, you know, the competitive side, I think was was a little different from our just usual, uh, kind of excursions. Yeah. So you guys,
0: you guys didn't really have any kind of a race background. So that's kind of the race kind of freaked you out.
1: (laughs) A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, you know, we were both cross country runners in high school and all that, but I think um, yeah, since since getting out of school, neither of us had really done – oh, you've done more – we've done some trail racing, I guess, but yeah. nothing, nothing multi-sport.
2: Yeah. yeah, we did some – so I, I'm a, a newspaper reporter by trade, mm-hmm. um, and I did an article on a guy who was starting up a, a trail running group in State College, Pennsylvania, when we were living there. Um, and he convinced me to try trail running out, um, and I got the bug on that first. And started doing ultras and uh, had worked my way up to like 100 milers. Um, I did the Kettle Marine 100 in Wisconsin and was getting really into trail running when I discovered adventure racing. And since then, I think I've done maybe two trail runs. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) many more adventures. I shifted my obsession.
0: Yeah. Well, see, it's kind of interesting because, you know, the stuff you sent me, you guys talk about being such beginners going to this race. And now that we dig into it a little bit, you're not really beginners. You've got, I mean, you've got like the pro typical adventure race background.
2: So yeah, but I'm really bad, Randy. I'm not good. Everyone else you talk to wins these races. No, I'm coming in right before the cutoff.
0: You know, actually, most of them don't. Yeah, we've got a few outliers there, but I think that's what that's what adventure racing is. Is it's, you know, yeah, you're not going to win a trail race, but you might be r- relatively competitive in adventure racing you know it, it, you get to do all these things
1: sort of okay instead
0: of one thing not so okay
1: yeah that's true I think we've we've become you know over the years smarter racers too so we try to you know we're I think decent with speed but we try to do better with kind of strategy and and uh and nav so.
2: that's what I love about the sport I think Kate would agree yeah um and Starker as well, although he we always makes weird decisions, which we always look at, overrule. Cock at. Yeah. we overrule him, but um, thankfully it's a democracy, our team, and, and Kate <laughs> and, and I usually vote, vote in, in yeah. lockstep with each other, um, but um, I would say that um, if it were a foot race, we'd get bored with it yeah. and um, p- probably wouldn't be doing very well but because adventure racing does allow you to think outside the box, and I would say our real like heroes is uh, the yoga slackers. I mean, they don't know us or anything, yeah. but um, I love watching their dots when they're mm-hmm. racing because they think so outside the box, and I wish I could have that, that kind of brain um, because they just think so creatively about how to get through a course, and I feel like whenever we do that, we do really well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Well. You know what I always say, if there's one team doing something completely different, it's yoga slackers, right? Yeah.
1: yeah.
2: Well, you'll see if you look at our dots from my Tara that we're doing something completely yeah, different, me too. but in a bad way.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, no, you're supposed to say, well, we thought that this, you know, we thought we'd give this. This was the only way we had to win, is to try this. Right. And it didn't we work. You know, <laughs> go big or go home. That's right. That's right exactly. So, um, we're, oh, so... How did you get to Maine? You said you traveled around, quit your jobs, traveled around. Why Why did you decide on Maine?
1: Yeah, we've kind of – so we actually met in Maine hmm. uh, about a decade ago um, when we were in college here and um, just really loved Maine, loved the, the kind of wild parts in the mountains that you can find, really, really remote wilderness, and also the um, – beautiful coastline we love sea kayaking along the coast and all that so it kind of had all met all of our outdoor needs um and we're not really we don't need big cities or anything so kind of loved the small town vibe in Maine and then um work and education opportunities took us elsewhere but we always kind of had in our mind that we'd get back to Maine one day um and yeah about a a year a little little over a year ago now we were when we were living in Wisconsin we were kind of faced with like a you know commit to this area with our with our jobs or um, you know quit everything and, and take a chance and move back and we, we decided to do that that second option so um, yes yeah, so we, we quit our jobs last June um, and traveled around Europe for a while and then in the West um, and then kind of ended our road trip back up in in Maine and now we live in Portland so um, it's been pretty great.
0: Yeah, well, you moved back just in time for for no untamed New England, huh? I know. I know. What's <laughs> up
1: with that? <laughs> we believe we, we, we talked to her we were like, oh, great, we can finally do this this you know really cool race. Yeah. But
2: you yeah. know, we're we're thinking of just racing to to his house. Like he he dared <laughs> us on Facebook, so I think we're we're we might take him up on that
1: sometime. Or <laughs> we, we we heard he may be able to get a copy of the maps, and maybe we could just uh, do it ourselves or something. Cool.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, I think you can go to my MyTopo, and they'd probably print you out some of the race maps. So,
1: yeah, I bet they would.
0: You know, and I think that there's a couple of those mountaintop CPs from the last Untamed that the controls might still be there because nobody wanted to go get
1: them. Yeah, we heard that about a couple other ones around Sugarloaf too. So maybe we'll be the ones to go clear the course.
0: So well, that'd be yeah, that'd be kind of cool. I mean, that would actually be kind of fun, wouldn't it, to get a map and just go do the do sections.
2: I heard some of those sections were not uh, worth redoing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you there. But I mean, we do that here with Primal Quest maps. We'll we'll take them out and just oh let's oh let's go let's go to this CP. We haven't been there for a while, so yeah, that's, that's kind of fun. But, How do you know if you're there though, Randy? <laughs> um, because I've been there. Well, you know the other thing. You, <laughs> other thing you can do. Yeah. When, we used to do this for Paulette, is just put the coordinates in a GPS, and then yeah. when you yeah. get close, it'll beep. So, oh, that's cool. I like just saying, well, we're here. This must be it. Let's, yeah. let's go home. Yep. yep. It, it's kinda, <laughs> we could see it from here. So, we're good. Let's go. Yeah. So, um, so, what are you guys doing in Maine now? You know, I'm nosy. I like to, you know, I like to I go sure. different places because cause I so, want to know what a newspaper reporter does now. Oh, yeah. A,
3: a newspaper reporter.
2: reporter doesn't work, yeah. which is why I'm not doing any newspaper reporting anymore. <laughs> Um, yeah, if kids are listening, do not go into newspaper reporting. Get another dream. Yeah, they're, uh, it's they're like to what's a, a newspaper bench racer. <laughs> yeah. um, so So uh, yeah, I'm
0: I follow Kate around.
1: Okay,
0: I understand that totally. Uh, how that <laughs> that dynamic works. So okay.
1: yes. yeah. I got a, I I'm a, a professor in psychology, so I got a, a visiting position at Bates College. Um, so that's kind of prompted our our job quitting yeah. was that opportunity. And uh, so, yeah, so I, I teach um, at the college, and I also have a small private practice on the side. Yeah. Oh. And, you know, I, I uh, counsel team members when when we're in dire straits.
2: <laughs> she, she, it's really helpful to have a psychologist, a trained professional
0: psychologist on the team. I'll tell at you that. At all times. Well, Super I – I, I, I know you're sort of joking, but does it help?
2: Um, well, if you seek the correct professional help, it does. If you if you attack the psychologist verbally, it generally doesn't. Um, no, I think especially for um, the dynamic with me and my dad, it's really nice to have a mediator. <laughs> um, because my dad and I are both much more competitive than Kate by nature, and we are always – bickering about who's going faster or slower and who's made the worst mistake. Um, and Kate keeps us very level-headed and, and friendly and, and moving forward.
0: So, yeah, just uh, that makes sense. Um, are you get you know, the question, are you guys married when you race? Okay. Yeah. This is a two-part question. Are you married when you race and are you father and son when you race? Ooh, Ooh
1: good question. Yeah,
2: um, definitely.
1: Yeah, I would say, yeah.
2: Yeah, because we're not competitive, really. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, we, are, we are. It's not that we're not competitive. And we yeah, and we try. We do have a, a competitive side. I think the thing though is that, um, yeah, I, I think I think it's hard for us to like put that aside during races. It's not, I don't know that it really affects how we um, how we race so much, but I can't help but kind of just remember my relationships to both of them as we're racing.
2: I'm trying to think of that Macaulay Culkin movie where he's hanging off the cliff with the, his brother or cousin and the mother has to choose which one to save. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I hope I'm never in that position in an adventure race. <laughs> <laughs> your, dad
3: your wife? Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, cause I can't, I, it's for me, it's impossible to set aside those relationships where yeah. we bring them wherever we go.
0: Yeah. And just as a side, I wish, I think you need to get your dad racing more cause I think that could be like the, he could be the coolest name in adventure racing.
1: He <laughs> is starker white and I, actually starker means stronger.
2: Yeah. That's where the strong machine comes from. So starker means stronger. So, um, and so his company is strong machinery. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where the team name came from. Strong machine. So, uh, well, and but I don't think it, he's racing anymore after I yeah,
1: We may have broken
0: him. <laughs> well, you never know what's, what's strong machine do out of curiosity.
1: Oh, they're a it's a machinery used machinery dealer. Okay, so it's just my dad.
2: He he runs a warehouse with um, a bunch of um, used machinery that he buys and sells out of a warehouse in Rockford, Illinois. So he goes internationally and buys machines from companies that are selling them and sells them to companies that want them.
0: Well, like big machine, like like equipment, big machines, milling machines,
1: just or anything. He's got like a, a yeah. massive warehouse that's probably like three football fields, four football fields.
2: You'll need to call him and get him on the podcast.
1: Yeah. He'd love to talk to you. Character. You wouldn't <laughs> get
0: him to shut up. Though. That
1: might be because that actually sounds pretty
0: fascinating to me. So. It
1: does. <laughs> I think you guys would get along.
0: <laughs> yeah. Sometimes in the middle of the winter, you know, when it's kind of off season, it's like, well, who should I? I need somebody fun. So I'll keep that in my – I'll put that in the back of my brain. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Give yourself a couple hours though. He likes to
0: talk. Well, yeah, That's fine. I'll make it a two-parter. You know, just, <laughs> I think my mission statement or whatever you want to call it is like, it says something about it's almost all adventure racing, but every once in a while something different and yeah, I had ever well. do anything different. So yeah. Yeah. He we'll
2: actually, rem- I met JD Eskelson mm-hmm. this year well, and I'm he kind of reminded me of, him, like the guy who's always upbeat and always talking. And mm-hmm. sometimes you're like, Oh, I just wish you'd shut up. But most of the time, you're really thankful to have him out there because he's just always friendly, upbeat, and keeping the
0: team positive. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, Kate, what do you notice about adventure racers f- from your professional point of view? I mean, is <laughs> is there? I mean, is there a a type or you know? Do, do you notice anything like... about all these weirdos?
1: Yeah, <laughs> no, you know, it's funny. I think there's. There's a few types. I feel like there's um, one thing that I I would say is that um, unlike other sports, like maybe triathlons or whatever, where there's a lot more control over the course, I think, you know, adventure racers just have to be so kind of ready to give up control. Um, So maybe that's one thing I've noticed is, you know maybe it's hard for them but they're at least like i mean just to sign up for something like this where you know the race course is unknown until maybe even midway through the race you're finding out new stuff and um i think you just have to have a certain comfort with the unknown and kind of giving up control so um you know that's maybe one little little uh piece of analysis there
0: i am finding that adventure racers are a bunch of really, really smart people. Yeah. <laughs> um. You know, you just and you look at them and you see them on the course and you're like, eh, okay. I'm, come this week's episodes with Michael Matson from outside Pearl Izumi, and he's mm-hmm. like, he's got like this doctorate in exercise physiology and and doing yeah. all this cutting edge stuff, and it's like, he looks like a snowboard
1: bum. <laughs> but you know, I think that you kind of like that's the sport, you know, right? Is is uh you know, strategy and analysis, and that's definitely what what got Cliff and I hooked was the idea that you could actually beat other people not out of sheer physical force, but just by you know outsmarting them in in one way or another. <laughs> i yeah. think That we found that really satisfying.
0: So, well, that's I mean that that's definitely true. Not. The strongest team doesn't always win unless they're Seagate, but, um,
1: sure. Yeah. But they're smart.
0: Too. You have to be strong and smart. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. The, and, and nobody, nobody lucks out into a win. I don't think in adventure racing. So.
1: No, I don't, I think
0: not. We tried in ITERA. It didn't work out. Yeah. Okay. Well. Okay. There's a case in point. Um, all <laughs> right. Before we get to ITERA, let's, let's talk about your race. Cause you guys bit the bullet and, and, uh, Put on a adventure race. So what what was that like?
1: You know, it was it was fun. Um, we keep debating whether it was easier or harder than planning our wedding because I feel like <laughs> on sort of scope of you know just logistics, it felt similar. Um, but yes, yeah, so we put on an eight hour and a three hour race uh, about an hour north of Portland, Maine. Called the Maine Summer Adventure Race in July, um, and it was our very first time adventure uh, planning a race. And we kind of backed into it. We knew a guy who um, helped run a land conservancy, and they were merging with a bunch of other ones and wanted some kind of event that would link together all their new properties.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And we we're in a, you know they've got like a lake lake access, a bunch of um, nice little land conservancies, and some big some big parcels as well. And we were like, well, have you ever heard of adventure racing? Because that basically um, kind of perfectly accomplished what they were looking for. Um, So it was nice for us. We didn't have to do any permitting or anything like that because all the land was kind of given to us. Um, But we had a nice showing, about 80 racers for the first year. Um, And, um, yeah, had a lot of fun just kind of showing off the the main scenery.
2: Yeah. yeah, so we, we moved here uh, knowing that we could pretty much run an adventure race out of our backyard, mm-hmm. and that's what we did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we just did it a lot sooner than we had imagined doing it, um, and so uh, one thing, going back to what you were saying about adventure racers having a type, and I know you've mentioned on previous podcasts, because I am a devoted listener, um, <laughs> that you say you have never met uh, an adventure racer you didn't like yeah. or who wasn't friendly, um, and... Um, so we, uh, really relied on a, a network of people that we've gotten to know over our brief, uh, 10 racing
3: mm-hmm.
2: and in the community. And I, I just, I can't thank the people who helped us out enough, um, because we are so new, uh, to the sport and then also to plan, <laughs> planning an event, um, like this. Yeah. Um, so, um, all the people in Wisconsin, especially rib mountain racing who ran, they run actually a new eight and three hour race as well. That's in its third year, um, and they've gotten, I think, 250-plus racers and three-quarters of them new racers, which, I mean, there's not much of a, um, a race scene in the, in the New England area anymore. Yeah. I don't know if there was, um, but um, we're really kind of building from scratch, we found. Um, and uh, Jamara, Green Mountain Adventure Racing Association in Vermont, those are another uh, group of amazing people who really helped us out a lot Um, And I know you've had Mark Van Tongren on the show, and Mm -hmm. he was a great help as well. Um, Just everyone was so willing to get on the phone and take time. And, uh, oh, gosh, I can't – and Rootstock. Rootstock, um, we've gotten to know them. We met them at Nationals a couple years ago. um, And Abby and I are both very overly friendly people, we found. (laughs) And I think that's how how we started talking. And Kate was kind of looking. Like, what are you doing talking to these random people? (laughs) And I think Brent Friedland (laughs) was like, (laughs) Abby, why are you talking to these people? And so um, out of that came uh, a really good friendship. And they helped us out so, so much because they've done a lot of uh, race directing. And they've started a whole new race series down there um, as Rootstock. And um, just got so much great advice and help. Um, Abby and Brent lend us checkpoints or controls. Um, and without that network i don't think it would have been possible our event would have crashed and burned and it it had its moments where we thought it might but we i think we pulled, <laughs> we pulled it, pulled it
1: off. off i think so we'll do it again next year i
2: don't know you'll have to ask other people who did it <laughs> if we did but we think it's going to be a lot better as we go on we learned a lot and um, yeah i mean there's some things you can hear from other people and there's some you just have to experience them and learn for yourselves and i think we learned a lot from our first year and uh, Definitely really, gives
1: you an appreciation being a racer, kind of thinking through how oh, a director gotcha. might 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 make decisions.
2: Yeah, yeah. and it also gives you yeah. a lot more sympathy. And actually, <laughs> it's really appropriate that we um, d- directed our first race this year because James Thurlow, the director of Itera, had mm-hmm. like a race from hell. Yeah, and I think if we were just racing that without that experience of directing ourselves, I think we would have been a lot angrier at the organization uh, for some of the things that happened. But we had such an appreciation for so many, the decisions they had to make on the fly and the um, challenges yeah, the they faced uh, because of the weather. And uh, James was, I, I don't know if, if everyone heard, um, but he kind of made public that uh, he was very ill during the race. Yeah. And um, it I, I can't imagine what he was going through through those five days. And it gave us a lot of um, sympathy, respect, appreciation for just all the efforts of, Uh, ITERA and all the race support crew that kind of (laughs) uh, shuttled us through the race at parts (laughs) Um, it was pretty pretty incredible what they pulled off
0: yeah well I got just one more question about your race and then we're going to ITERA but did you was your race almost all beginners did you have any experienced racers and do you think most of the beginners are going to come back
1: you know, we had a really nice mix. Um, we had like Rev Three and Rootstock and Goals, and some of these other more uh, experienced teams came. Dark blueberries. Um, oh yeah, Dart. We had a, a Dart sighting. Um, <laughs> Matt so Hayes came. Matt Hayes came <laughs> there. Dark blueberries. So that was great. Um, yeah, so we had a nice mix though, with a lot of a lot of new racers. Especially the three-hour race was entirely new racers, um, and we're hoping to kind of you know shuttle those, those folks on to the longer race next year. Um so it was kind of nice I think especially for new racers to see some of these more experienced teams really getting through the course much, you know, quicker and more easily. Um you know just to sort of sh- just sort of show them what they could do if they stuck with it.
0: So, yeah, that's Yeah, it's nice to have that example, right? Exactly. For the new ones. What's What's the st- what's the one thing in putting on a race that happens that you had no idea about? Hmm. Gosh. There's something that happened.
1: really? the extent of (laughs) of the race director's sleep deprivation in the uh, (laughs) days and weeks um, leading up to the event was, was uh, greater than I expected.
2: So I, the hardest thing for me was trying to figure out how fast and how slow teams would go.
1: Yeah, that's probably... That's the be, thing that yeah. tripped us
2: up this year, I think, is yeah. um, we know the fast teams are Herculean, but they are mortal, and we set a really big course. I think we had, like, a 12-hour <laughs> course. Like, Abby, at the beginning of the race, she was running to the race start, and she goes, you just set a 60-mile course for an eight-hour race. And I was like, is that bad? <laughs> um, And so no one cleared our course, but I think that's a good problem to have. I think that was my goal, um, or at least my goal. I don't know if Kate's was as well. I think she wanted a little closer, but I wanted to have every team race the full eight hours. So I didn't want any team coming in at five hours after having driven eight hours to Maine and then getting basically half a race in. So I didn't really mind that that much, but I think some teams were a little overwhelmed by the size of the course. And then I think for the slower teams, it was kind of like, we tried to give a lot of options where you could shortcut. Um,
1: there are tons of places to yeah,
2: shortcut, yeah. But I think for beginner teams, they didn't realize entirely that they could shortcut as much as they did, or could've. Yeah. So yeah. I think uh, trying to figure that out a little better and, and using, I think, previous years' data as to how fast teams traveled will help us out a lot in the future.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that is the hard part. You want it long enough. Yeah, that mix between fast and slow. So, mm-hmm. And I think that just takes time to learn. Yep, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, all right, I'm going to shut up. Just tell me about ITERA. Tell me about ITERA <laughs> and your former friends, Rootstock Racing, huh?
1: <laughs> For current enemies. Current no, enemies. Um, <laughs> Frenemies. <so> <laughs> Frenemies.
2: <laughs> I think that would be the title of a great sitcom, by the way, yeah. if any TV producers are listening um, but, um, so we did a bunch of 30 hour races in the previous couple of years and we're looking for maybe an expedition race. And for whatever reason, we weren't particularly drawn to like, um, cowboy tough, even though that's kind of the obvious choice. Um, I well, think because, but I don't it think it so- is
0: for you guys because where you live is, is not Wyoming. <laughs>
1: Right. Yeah, yeah.
2: So. yeah, and it's it's just as far to go to Wyoming as it is to to, to Ireland for us. Yeah. I mean, it was a super flight almost five from,
1: hours from Boston
2: from Boston to Ireland, so. uh, and they have a direct flight to Shannon, uh, which was close to the race start. Um, and so we we're kind of looking at it as <laughs> cowboy tough or um, Ireland. Mm-hmm. And my dad Starker uh, set down the gauntlet of saying, "I will not race in anywhere hot." <laughs> so I think yep. that's what steered us away from Cowboy Tough, yep. even though it looks like an amazing race, and now I really want to race the world championships. Um, <laughs> but um, I I think it looked like a good beginner race, and so we kind of put the feelers out to see if anyone had any thoughts. And uh, Rootstock, Abby and Brent especially, um, they've raced uh, that race uh, both in Wales and in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were really familiar with the race organization and the race structure. And so we got on the phone with them and basically just peppered them with questions. And they really highly recommended the race as a good starter expedition race. Um, it was known as kind of a little more beginner friendly, not beginner friendly, but first time, uh, expedition friendly, um, okay. because, um, they, the way they set up the course for ITERA is they set a short course and then add long course points to it. Um, so, um, it's an expedition, it's a point to point. Um, but, um, the, the short course is about half the length of the long course and you can skip any points on the long course along the way once you're on the short course, if that makes any sense. Yeah. It took me a while to figure
0: out what that meant. Yeah. Exactly.
2: But, yeah, well, it's um, almost
0: like the long course or optional points. For, yeah. Optional, once, for the short, you,
2: once you, course. yeah,
0: once you get your
2: head around the fact that you're not going to do every point, mm-hmm. then it becomes much more strategic, which we like, yeah. and uh, much more about uh, rolling with how you're feeling. Uh, you know, if if you're feeling good, then you add a point. If you're feeling bad, then you skip the point and kind of s- keep. It keeps the race together. So from an organizational standpoint, it makes sense. Yeah. But from our standpoint, it was it allowed us the flexibility to not feel. Like, we were constantly falling behind or worrying about cutoffs, which, <laughs> as it turned out, uh, <laughs> because of the crazy conditions this year, turned out to be the case. We were always fighting cutoffs and always feeling behind. And uh, <laughs> We
1: weren't the only ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: there were some really good teams doing the same thing. Um, but uh, it was just such a crazy year this year. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. So um, we decided to, to sign up, and I got on the phone with Starker and was like, all right, old man, what do you think? And he's like, well, I'm not getting any younger. So, he
1: is 62, just for the record. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> so he said he wanted to do an expedition race before he died. Um, so that gives him a window <laughs> of about three years. Yeah, um,
0: it's almost there.
2: <laughs> no. Uh, and, um, yeah, the race actually almost killed us all. So. <laughs> no, but um, so he he got in, and then we needed a fourth teammate. And for the fourth teammate – Um, I have a good friend who I hiked the Appalachian Trail with. I met her on the first day of hiking the trail. Um, Her name's Claire Poulin, and um, she uh, now lives in Maryland. She's a special ed teacher there, and she has done some crazy adventures. She was in the Peace Corps in uh, Mozambique, and uh, when she was there, she biked across South Africa, and she's biked across the U.S., and she's just an incredible athlete. I think she's gotten, like, podium finishes in ultramarathons. So um, we added her because she uh, was the only friend who said yes, <laughs> and she was also our first choice.
1: Yeah. Yes, and we like her, yeah. um, but she hasn't had a lot of adventure racing experience. I think that was, you know, all of us were kind of looking to. I you mean, know, we knew none neither, none of us had had an expedition race experience before, so we were just kind of, again, sort of throwing ourselves into it, and and really just hoping to get experience more than anything. We we came in with pretty low expectations. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, as, I anyway, you talked to Jim Driscoll, mm-hmm. we listened to that podcast, we actually felt like Jim, um, made it sound like things were a little, uh, less intense than, than, <laughs> they, than we thought they were, but, um.
2: Jim's trying to get in with bones, he, we think, he's trying to he's position hurt. himself as a super badass, yeah. and he... Anyone who finishes the full course in ITERA I can vouch for is a super badass. Super badass um, yeah. because it did not it required beyond normal human being efforts to, to finish the full course in this yeah. ITERA. But yeah. um, Jim Jim was definitely underplaying how crazy the conditions were in this race. <laughs> so
1: we're here to tell you basically, uh, that it you know, I mean, it, it was a beautiful course and we don't have to go through the course since I think anyone who's listened to Jim's podcast would know, but um, I mean Unfortunately, the, the two days before the race were absolutely gorgeous, sunny, 70s. Um, the race began, and so did the the wind and the and the wet. Um, and then, basically, for four straight days, four and a half straight days, the the rain and the wind let up hardly not at all um, until the very last day when we paddled into the finish line, where again it started to be 70s and sunny again for the next few days. So um it was i would say you know just the 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 wettest we've been for um a sustained 4 days did
0: was there a time during the race when you sort of made your peace with it that like this is what yeah. it's going to be and we're just have have fun
1: oh yeah i think we definitely especially with the wet i mean the rain was less i would say less problematic for us like you know, when you're when you're wet, it's not like we weren't really necessarily cold because you can put layers on and you could keep pretty warm. Um, and once you're wet, it's sort of like you know you kind of give up on keeping anything dry, so you just sort of go with go with it. I think the thing that we found most challenging really was the wind, which I know Jim touched on. The way that the winds um, work in Ireland is just completely out of the southwest, um, and we were traveling south the whole way um so we were basically into a headwind the entire time um and talking to them to some of the locals they were saying that you know it's, it's typical for it to be windy along the coast but the winds that we were facing were much stronger than they typically had um and much more sustained so like 4 days straight versus you know gusts for you know a half a day here and there so yeah. um it was i think that was the thing that maybe was the hardest for us was just um especially like biking and paddling into the headwind was really it 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 wore us down physically but also just mentally Yeah. um and that was i would say that was probably the most challenging piece
0: did um each of you have your breakdown moment you know and, and how do you <laughs> obviously obviously y'all did right <laughs> but how do you get oh, through yeah. that i mean how do you do you just allow yourself say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to feel sorry for two minutes and then life goes on.
1: Yeah. I mean, I can say like I had a little crisis of confidence as we were heading up the final track climb up to the top of Karen tool, the highest point in Ireland. Um, It was, we were completely socked in by a, a storm. So it was very, very foggy and, it was probably, it was just getting dark as we were climbing, so we didn't get to the top till after midnight, and so couldn't really see anything. I think, you know, navigating up there, I felt like, here I am, you know, asking these three people to follow me up this mountain, saying that I know where we're going, you know, but what if I don't? What if I, you know, lead this off the wrong way, the wrong spur, or whatever? Um, So I had a little moment of, kind of telling everybody, like, hey, I don't think I should navigate you. Let's turn around and go home. (laughs) And the best piece of gear, I think, that we had was our bothy bag. Um, And so immediately after I started freaking out, um, Cliff ripped out the bothy bag, and we all kind of snuggled together in this tiny little bothy bag in this crazy storm. And um, Claire whipped out some really good snacks. Um, And all of them were just like, hey, we, you know, Let's we'll go slowly. Whatever you need, but we'll just you know stick together. Um, and within a five minutes, I think it kind of rolled over. So I'd say for me at least, like the team aspect of the sport, you know, whenever you have that that low moment, that's when you have to look to your teammates to allow you to you know allow them to bring you out of it. Yeah.
0: So, were um, you guys? What actually? This is what I want to know what was your course like? How did they, how did, how did they move you around? Just, you know, kind of the nuts and bolts, you know, and, uh, you know, sure. So, it, every, I mean, I, that'll give us an idea of what the race had to do with people.
2: Yeah. So, um, as Jim mentioned, pretty much every single leg was modified, mm-hmm. uh, including the, the, uh, first seven K run through, uh, the town of Westport. Um, so it was supposed to be a 5K, and it turned into a 7K. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so they modified that one longer, yeah. but all the others were shortened significantly. Um, and um, so I can I can run you through basically all the changes really quickly and what we did out of all that, yeah. um, kind of like give you a general idea. But um, so because of the wind, I think primarily teams were moving a lot slower than they had envisioned. And it was a pretty massive course, mm-hmm. I would say, looking mm-hmm. back on it. Although I think the most surprising thing, and we talked with Rootstock and a couple other teams before the race, and everyone was saying, this course is clearable by Sunday. Like, this is a four-day clearable course. Um, it looks really manageable on a map. Um, and I think when we got out there, everyone kind of realized that, oh, my gosh, this course is a lot gnarlier than we expected. I don't think people expected the steepness and the craziness of the mountains. Mm-hmm. And uh, people definitely didn't expect how wild the, the winds were, made the water. Um, but, um, so after that 7k run, and as Jim mentioned, the, the timing was kind of off at the beginning of the race so that we faced a uh, not only crazy headwind, but also an incoming tide on the way out of the bay there. Yeah. And so we had an ocean paddle on these sit on top sea kayaks, which are kind of like barges. Um, <laughs> they move really slowly. And, um, so at one point, at one point the tide was the tides are crazy there. Mm-hmm. They were like ripping in. And at one point we saw a team in front of us just paddling and moving backwards. And that was, <laughs> uh, was kind of like an eye-opener. Like we are not moving as fast as we thought we might. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I have this video of us um, talking about that first stage. And we thought the 50K paddle would take us eight hours um, more or less. And uh, by eight hours, we hadn't even gone half of that. Wow. um there were um crazy not crazy waves, but they were they were curving waves. I have a lot of experience paddling in the ocean, and kate does too, so it wasn 't intimidating for us but the boats were moving so slowly i mean we were looking at the coast and it was just like we were creeping along, just going so slowly and we're we're good paddlers mm-hmm. i I would say that's one of our strongest disciplines uh as a team is a really good paddler too um and um so I wouldn't call us, you know, slaggards on that, but we were just crawling, and uh, the waves were hitting us on the quarter bow, so that we were just getting, like, pummeled, and uh, we found out, I don't know if you saw, the French team that eventually won the race ended up getting transported, Yeah. Um, but uh, we had a very similar problem with our boat, and we heard a couple other teams did as well, um, with the boat taking on water into the hull. Apparently, the hatch wasn't properly secured. I checked it, and it... I thought it was secured, but the boat took on a ton of water, and so that slowed us down even more, um, but with like 2K left to the takeout, so they revised the first paddle to make it a 25K paddle, um, and with 2K left, um, we were struggling just to stay afloat, and we ended up taking a couple swims. We ended up capsizing a couple times, mm. and that kind of set a tone for the rest of the race for us, <laughs> yes. of kind of like being a little freaked out. Yeah. <laughs> We ended up, and thank God, the race required uh, mandatory uh, certification because even though I know how to self-rescue and and Claire, who was in my boat, knew how to self-rescue, we uh, were comfortable with those skills. Uh, I think that course that they required us to take, um, at the time I was like, I don't want to spend $500 on this. But when we were out there in the middle of all that craziness, Uh, like our training kicked in it was like remember your training and we flipped the (laughs) boat over and got back on and we were able to make it to the takeout but um from there um there was a beach walk which we probably should have run a little bit more of um but um that was kind of their plan b already um so they planned for us to paddle all along the ocean but instead we walked it uh along the beach, which was beautiful, and Jim said it was his favorite part of the course, and it was definitely really nice for us, too, um, and good to be on land
0: <laughs> yeah, <I get laughs> after that crazy get Um
2: But Claire, especially, I think, was like, what did I just sign up for, what did I just get into? And it took us a little while to get our mojo back. Um, so we did, I think it was like a 20K walk um, along the beach and these coastal roads, and then, um, hit uh, kind of a, a de facto or like modified TA of sorts um, where we got back in our boats and crossed a channel um, and had to push our boats through this like shallow river for uh, like more than a kilometer and then uh, finally paddled across this channel and then it was like 3 AM and we were chatting with the the guy who was running the, the paddle takeout and he was like Hey, you're doing great. Good work. Um, did you know that there's a cutoff at 5 a.m.? <laughs> I was like, "What?" <laughs> we were like, just chatting with this guy, and then we're like, "Oh crap!" So we had to like kick it, and um, we pretty much sprinted—like, not sprinted, but we were in like 5k pace mode. Um, Twenty—not 24 hours, like 15 hours into this race, running to a TA uh, for a 5 a.m. cutoff that I wasn't aware of. I don't know if Kate you knew it about I
1: think I just assumed with all the changes that it wasn't in effect anymore.
2: (laughs) But um
1: That's where our experience probably would have been helpful. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um
2: but the Japanese team was with us and so we kind of just all were running together in this crazy chaotic pile (laughs) of like running backpacks. (laughs) Uh and um they were behind us the whole time and we saw these arrows which we had seen in previous TAs and um we followed the arrows, and that was a mistake because it was actually for another race. Yeah. And um, the, we finally figured it out, and we headed back up to where we saw, we knew the TA was, and we saw the Japanese team outside, and they were like, thumbs up on us. Like, they made it, and they didn't speak much English, but we were like, oh, crap. Like, they made it, and then we got in, and we got in, I think, at like 5.08 or something, mm. And we had just missed the cutoff. And we all were, like, so bummed because we were, like, oh, we just missed the cutoff on the first night of the race. Like, this is it's the end. We thought we'd get pulled from the course. We thought we, you know, had wasted all our time and money coming over. And it was a big low point. Um, so the rest of the team kind of composed themselves. We had a meal. They told us to just sit in place. Um, and so we just kind of rested. I was... Um, Still pretty wired. It was only – like we'd only been racing for yeah. 15 hours yeah. at that point. So I was eating some three-bean chili in the ba- uh, bathroom where it was warm <laughs> and uh, as, uh, as, kind as of you like to, as, as you
3: yeah. <laughs>
2: ruminating on our experience and what was going to happen. And James Thurlow, the race director, <laughs> walked in the door and I was like, oh, <laughs> James. And he's like, oh, what, what are you doing? <laughs> kind of, we had this moment like, where we didn't really expect to see each other at that moment in that place. Um, but he, um, he showed up, and a lot, after a brief discussion where I was like, listen, our team is raring to go. We ran in here. Um, we're, we're still full of energy. We're still very much wanting to race. Uh, after some deliberation, he said, okay, if you're out of here by 8, you can stay on the short course. So by that point, we were still an active short-course team. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Um, But he said that uh, the caveat was we could not rank above any team that had gotten out of the TA by 5 a.m., which we were fine with. We didn't really – yeah. It's a good call. But it was super nice. Yeah. So um, we we got out of there and did a really great trek through the Mom Turks, um, which is just – Beautiful. It's – I think that was –
1: it was a fun track. Yeah,
2: it was just so beautiful. I wish we could have done more of the, the longer stage, but it got shortened. So that was originally a 50K track with 5,000 meters of elevation gain, and they cut off two points of the full course there for all teams, and we short-coursed the whole thing. So it was just a 25K trek, I think. Uh, and I got to geek out and see all the top teams passing us, which mm-hmm. was really cool. <laughs> um, and um, then we got into... In like mid afternoon, we got into the canoe transition to a seventy five k paddle, uh, which would have been the longest paddle we any of us had ever done in our mm-hmm. lives um, and um, it was on this lake, which was absolutely stunning called Loch Cory, mm-hmm. and it had like a thousand islands on it. so our plan was to go as far as we could, bring our camping gear, and camp on one of the islands um, and We had a really cool paddle for the first three or four hours. Um, we were, again, with some of the top teams. We raced with uh, Ian Keith's team, Columbia, Ireland, uh, for a while, and we were keeping up with them, so we felt really motivated. And then at about, like, 10 p.m., the wind went from, like, a 15-mile-an-hour headwind to, like, double that. Uh-huh. Um, and we just stopped. Like, we just we couldn't move. So we pulled up on an island, followed our plan, made some dinner, had a great night's sleep in our tent, and set the alarm for 3.30 Uh, And I've been talking for a while, so I'll let let Kate finish the story.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so the alarm went off. I think what we were expecting was, you know, like a lot of storms in New England, they pick up at night, and then by the morning, they've died down, and you've got a nice, you know, beautiful lake to paddle. Um, Well, of course, in this case, the storm had just picked up further, so... Um, we tried to wait a little longer, a little longer for it to die down, but it became pretty clear it just wasn't going to do that. So we got back back out on the water and this is where really the course logistics started to get pretty crazy Mm -hmm. because we got back out on the water, paddled for a few hours and we're not making any progress. And we knew there was a cutoff in Galway, which was the Southern end of the lake, um, that there was just no way we were going to make, um, so we. Spoke, I should.
2: do you mind if I interrupt? Okay. I could, should say at this point that both Claire and I were having severe tendonitis in yeah, our arms. Yeah, we had some okay. major injuries. So that was really cutting into our strength paddling. Yeah. Um. But go ahead.
1: Um. So I mean, we we basically decided we needed to chat with the race organization. So we pulled off and called them and just said, "Hey, you know, what do you want us to do? There's no way we're going to make this cutoff." Um. It turns out that about a dozen other teams had done the same thing. Um. <laughs> So this is where the great shuttle route began, um where we we sort of we ditched our boats, walked into town or actually I guess we got a cab into town. That was yeah. <laughs> that was nice. Um and ended up sitting in town for god like six hours waiting for a shuttle to pick us up. Yeah. And picked up a bunch of other teams, and then this shuttle was actually going to continue to go around for many more hours to pick up some other stragglers here and there along all along the edge of this lake, um, and we were getting really worried that we were just going to get way far behind, so we ended up actually jumping out and grabbing our own cab to the next TA. Um, <laughs> Because we we really you know wanted to race and we were kind of bummed that we were we're uh, but you know totally understandable they had they had like I said I think like ten teams or something that had um, been unable to continue to paddle so they needed to pick them all up and shuttle them along so um, so we got um, driven to the TA where the uh, where we got on our bikes. Um, And that section also got shortened substantially. Um, There were some issues with an Itera ferry that they were running that had to be canceled and so people had to get on a regular ferry. Um, And then some other sort of segments shortened later on in the stage. Um, For us, we ended up actually just biking, uh, cutting out some of the um, even mandatory checkpoints because the headwinds were just so strong that we were moving just really incredibly slowly. I've
2: never moved slower on a bike, Randy. It yeah. was crazy. We were
1: we were we were laughing because we were in our granny gears trying to pedal downhill. Um, the wind was so yeah. strong, so it was it was it was a long stage. I feel like the top teams like downplay and underplay this, but <laughs> I
2: I know I think I saw Suico saying that they got blown over at
1: yeah. One point. People were definitely getting blown off their bikes <laughs> yeah. and all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, and,
0: and let's not forget it's raining,
1: right? Well, sure. Yeah, yeah. raining. Um, actually, Claire, I think coined a great term, which is uh, rain splinters, <laughs> um, which is the feeling of rain at high speeds getting blown into your eyes. Um, so that was our rain splinters just- in the eyes. <laughs> um, so for us, we actually um, didn't weren't able to con- to finish that stage either, and had to get shuttled. Um, and again, they were shuttling a lot of people through that stage because the bike was supposed to be, I think, 200 kilometers, but then with some of the course changes, ended up getting extended to almost a, um, like 250 or so, or maybe longer. Mm. Um, so we got another shuttle, as did a bunch of other teams, to the start of the final trek stage.
2: So just to give you a perspective, Jim and Rootstock and all the other full course teams finished the whole bike. Of um, like 175k bike, and then did a quick climb of a mountain, Mount Brandon, uh, on the Dingle Peninsula, mm-hmm. and then uh, biked again uh, all the way to the TA that we ended up in. So they ended up doing pretty much 250 to 275k of biking uh, with just a little hike in between. Yeah, uh, which was just that's just a crazy amount of biking into a headwind. I don't know how the teams did it.
1: Yeah, I'm impressed. Um,
2: yeah. But um, so at the TA, they then did a couple of additional hiking points before the point we came into. So we did the short course trek, which was 50K, with uh, the majority of that going over the spine of uh, this mountain range, which is the highest mountain range in Ireland. Mm -hmm. Um, And what was crazy was, after not seeing Rootstock for four days, we met them at this pub in between the two mountain ranges. (laughs) (laughs) And my dad literally smacked into Abby coming out of the pub as we were walking in. (laughs) Uh,
1: (laughs) It was a fun reunion. <laughs> and
2: so we had a great time, and we gave them lots of ribbing about uh, how much fun we were having in this beautiful place that we had gotten to see so much of in yeah. the beautiful conditions. And um, Abby and Brent were really pleased that we were having such a fun, wonderful time. Yeah. And uh, there was no sarcasm at all in that conversation. <laughs> um, and then we followed them. They were kind of a little ahead of us, and um, we followed them. Uh, into the mountain range until it got too dark to see them Um, and then we kind of just had our own Journey through this crazy mountain range with knife ed ridges that we couldn't see the bottom of, and um, crazy, crazy
1: winds,
2: wind, and it
1: was cool. It was cool though once you kind of went with it
2: and tough nav. I was so impressed with Kate's nav through that section. I think we all were, and she like she like she mentioned she may have had that crisis of confidence, but uh, it was very brief. <laughs> and after some chimichurri flavored cashews. Um, She recovered quite nicely and and navigated us through that whole tough section in the middle of the night on our last day. And and then we finished up with uh, a canoe section across uh, the Killarney National Park, which was... The sun came out for us. It was beautiful. beautiful, And we kind of felt a little pang of regret that the race just had had such bad weather because it was just so stunning. And we had realized we missed, like, 300K of beautiful scenery. Um, But... um, Yeah, highly recommend Killarney National Park to anyone visiting Ireland. Highly recommend pretty much doing the whole course, uh, just not during the five days of weather that we had. (laughs) But yeah, then we got to the finish and uh, had a beer with rootstock and waved the American flag around like uh, true patriots, and uh, (laughs) that was it.
0: Yeah. It's an adventure. Okay, so I I got (laughs) questions, and hopefully everybody's got a long training day if they're listening to this one but um did that last did the sun coming out on that last day like make this all okay randy it,
2: it you, you well. misunderstand me yes. i was laughing and smiling through the whole race no i, I was i
0: understand it. that but it, i mean it was pretty miserable but you do get to finish in kind of nice weather and the sun's out and it's like it it had to be nice
1: it was a, it was kind of a fun way to finish yeah. i feel like um you know i maybe this is the memory sort of cleaning up the experience but it was really hard but i think we also just felt like so impressed with all the teams and ourselves for just sticking yeah. with this kind of a race um so the sun at the end was just sort of like a it was just almost humorous like Like it should, it should just rain right up to the last minute because, you know, that's what we, that's what the race was.
0: (laughs) I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. But do you, you guys know that this is the race you're going to tell everybody about for ages, right? (laughs) No matter how many adventure races you do.
2: Yeah, you know, the big goal was to not feel like complete neophytes and to not make the race organization have to take too much care of us. Yeah. Um, that was kind of, our, I know that's uh, kind of a sad goal, but uh, for us it was just um, trying to um, not be that team. You yeah. know, there's always that team, and we didn't want to be that team, yeah. so yeah. Um, It was it was tough out there, just from a personal perspective of wanting to push through like a true adventure racing team and and be uh, be tough like Jim Driscoll. Um, (laughs) But uh, it was in reality, it was just it was very discouraging to uh, just be paddling your heart out and watching the shore and realize you're not moving at all. Yeah and. You know, like, you're just not making any progress on this huge course, and there's cutoffs, and you're not going to make the cutoffs, so what should you do? Should you keep paddling, or should you bail out? Like, that was the toughest part for us, was um, what is smart, and what is conserving energy, and at what point do you just have to put your head down and be stubborn and, and keep paddling even though you're not moving anywhere? So that's, that's what I struggled with the most, and I think now I wish we had done Cowboy Tough, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. because – uh, at least teams were moving there, with it, it maybe exception of the the lake. But um, you know, at least yeah. the wind stopped blowing in the morning there. Yeah, eventually,
0: uh, sort of, kinda. Yeah. yeah.
2: Which, but yeah, well, we're, we're I'm excited about the stories. Quite honestly, um, I had a great experience there. I think we all did. Yeah. Um, it was um, even with the weather and not being able to see all the beautiful things. Um, it was still such an amazing experience and. Uh, one that I wouldn't trade. And I, I really s- hope that the iTero organization uh, didn't look at us as as a pain in their asses because I think we were <laughs> a little bit. But um, we we did try and give it our all, and I think we felt a little frustrated at the end that we couldn't, uh, we didn't feel that exhausted because quite honestly, um, like, it had just been a waiting game that the race or the weather beat us at. Instead yeah. <laughs> yeah. we kind of just waiting for it to, get a little better so we could push harder because uh I think we spent a lot of time waiting for the wind to die down so we could move. Um and um yeah, I don't know if that was the right strategy.
0: Well, you know, it's not like you were the only team. You know, like you said there's 10 or 12 teams that were in exactly the same situation you were, so yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think you guys represented uh, the colonies well.
1: <laughs> that
0: was our goal. We just didn't want the USA flag
2: to be at the very bottom of the standings. <laughs> so that's what, that's what our goal was. But, um, yeah, I mean, Rootstock, uh, they, they made the country proud. I think they were the uh, Michael Phelps, and we tried not to be the Ryan Lochte. Uh,
0: Thank you. Yeah, you're right up there. To, you know, if you just hadn't <laughs> wrecked that pub, you'd have been okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's wrap this up. But I do have – one thing that I want to just know is, which is worse, not moving in a kayak or not moving on the bike?
1: Mm.
0: Kayak.
2: Mm. Um, for me, mainly because I I've never had tendonitis before, mm. and um, my my whole arm is still creaking. I don't understand what's going on, but it was so painful to be paddling as hard as I was, and I was giving it like giving it my all mm. uh, for hours and hours, and just not see any progress or reward for all that effort. Mm. Um, and we, we were towing. I mean, we tried everything. We tried switching up all the power up front. We tried balancing the boats. We tried gear in the back, people in the front. We tried <laughs> everything, right? Really, and nothing was working. And it was amazing to see the team. Like, we were with Columbia, Ireland, and they just kept powering through the storm where we stopped. Mm-hmm. And I, quite honestly, I think it was just a it was a horsepower thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think they were able to at least make one to two kilometer an hour progress and we were pretty much at a dead stop uh-huh. so it was like that little bit of difference of power um i think got them through the stage when we just couldn't um and so i think on a bike at least you can just stop yeah and not lose ground that's but, true
1: you can't stop paddling
2: yeah, yeah you have to keep paddling if you're in the middle of a lake or you'll get blown backwards
0: yeah that's probably the difference right there so Um, Although,
2: I like paddling more than biking, and that's not said by many adventure racers.
0: You know, that's true. I guess that's just your back. Well, I mean, a lot of people have paddling backgrounds, but I suppose you guys actually paddle when you're not racing, unlike most adventure racers, right?
1: Yeah, we like we we do a lot of sea kayaking.
2: Our favorite new piece of gear is our epic paddles that we invested in. Yes. Oh my gosh, Easy. highly highly recommend for any new racers out there if you're looking about wanting to go faster on the water. Those things were blazing.
0: Huh. Well, there you go. Maybe they should sponsor the podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> So all we needed was water
2: in the
3: boat for this race. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um so, what's kind of next for you guys, and what's—I um, hate the term—but what's your uh, your bucket list race you're looking forward to? You know, maybe down the road a few years.
1: Well, uh, next race for us is the USRA Nationals, mm-hmm. so we're looking forward to that in Georgia. Um, and then, yeah, bucket race—we've talked a lot about some bucket race lists, uh, uh, bucket list races. Um, I think we would love to go to Patagonia. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd love to go to South Africa. and With anything international. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and I think uh, we've talked about, um, like, we've heard a lot of good things about Australia too. So
2: so I, yeah. you, I did a study abroad in Argentina, so I really want to go back down to Patagonia. But I also really love Paraguay.
1: Oh, that yeah, the Guarani. Like-
2: I've heard really good things about that race, um, and, um, I speak Spanish, so that's a big hand up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, and my dad does too, um, so that would be really helpful. Um, I don't know if my dad is going to keep racing these expeditions. (laughs) I think he's one and done, um. Uh, I think I think he'll make a 30 hour limit for himself after this but I could be wrong uh, we'd love to have him if he wants to keep racing. <laughs> uh he's a great great fun guy to race with. Um but um I don't know you know Randy it's it's tough to to say we belong in a world championships. Like I don't know if a director quite honestly would want a team like us there until we get faster or get better. Um it's it's a tough call for teams like us at the back of the pack like you don't want to be holding up the race or complicating things. You don't want to be a burden, um, but we still do want those experiences. I think Mark Harris, when he was on your podcast, I was listening to it. Um, you know, he is really out after those teams and wanting to make sure they're okay and having a good time too. Yeah. Uh, and we really appreciate that. Not every race director has that philosophy, but um, you know, obviously, our goal would be to do every race we could do. Yeah. But I think there is a natural selection in some of these races between those that really only want five teams to finish, um, which we'd probably steer away from and the races that are more inclusive of slower teams and want them there.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, and, and honestly, Patagonia is one of those that they only want three teams to finish. Although you had a great training for it in, you know, because basically when I'm reading about ITER and seeing all that stuff, I'm thinking, yeah, that's what, uh, that's that's just like Patagonia, except they don't <laughs> have any infrastructure to help you out.
2: That's what Mark Latanzi said. <laughs> he said this race rivaled Patagonia. So, um, yeah, I mean, Tira Viva down there is supposed to be a little more tame. Yeah, um, I
0: it's think, still in- yeah, any of the, uh, you know, World Series races. But, but uh, you know, anytime you go to World Championships, there's, there's 10 teams that, I won't say shouldn't be there, but they are. So, right. I mean, I don't think uh, experience or lack of experience. I think it's. Uh, I mean, you guys know, you guys know what you're doing now. I mean, you're getting a good grasp on it. So, I don't know. Yeah, why. and I
1: think after our our, our ITERA experience, I do feel like we learned so much that we'll. I mean, just as we've done with the you know the the ARA circuit in the states is you know, you apply what you've learned to the next thing, and that's where you get better. And I think we'll do, we we'll definitely have learned a lot from the ITERA experience. <laughs> so,
2: yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm kind of curious to hear your perspective, your honest perspective, Randy, because we're pretty thick-skinned, um, but I think it could be, I mean, you've been to a lot of these races, and you know these race structures a lot better than we do, uh, and I'm, I'm really curious to hear what you think about teams that aren't AMK uh, or tech New teams like, uh, teams like ours, um, do they have a place in expedition racing? I mean, do you think we should be trying to do this or do you think it's just, uh, a bridge too far? Do you think it's just not, the sport is not designed for teams like ours?
0: No, I think teams like yours are, are the sport because there's, there, there's five teams that can be in the top five and there's 45 teams that aren't. And, and if you don't have those 45 teams, you don't have a race. And I think the good race directors like like Mark and Mike, Warren Bates, uh, Craig, they create their they create their races for the for the five and the 45. You know, mm-hmm. maybe maybe there's five at the end that they might have problems with. But, you know, the problem is, is with ITERA is is the weather. I mean, you guys would have done fine. Everybody would have done fine, but you can't throw that, you know, you throw that in. But, no, I think, you, know, you guys you guys are kind of the future. Um, we need more teams. So it. what I would say to you is if you guys wanted to do Cowboy Tough and could get in, you'd be fine. You're going to, you know, it's going to be, you're going to be short-coursed, but the course is designed to do that. So, and you know, you sure. just learn to do it. So. Um, now getting sure. in might be hard <laughs>
1: yeah so we hear <laughs> so, um, yeah I mean we,
2: we wouldn't want to take a place of a team that would compete you know I mean that's but, we but see you're want-
1: not because
0: there's going to be 10 teams that are competing and there's going to be 40 teams that are racing because they want to be there and enjoy the experience okay it's adventure racing right there's 10 racing 40 adventure teams so mm-hmm.
1: yeah no, that's fair
2: but
0: yeah. uh yeah. Well, go for it. I mean,
2: uh, we will. We will. Uh, we have we have the Randy Erickson seal of approval yeah. now, um, yeah. so that helps. It does help. I mean, hearing that really does help. Yeah. But um, I think our big goal is to inspire. And I, I kind of said this um, at the at our race, and I said it in my email to you, kind of introducing uh, myself. But um, our goal is to to bring uh, people who've never done this anything outside or never done the sport into the sport and mm-hmm. uh, to give them a positive experience with it and uh, to also lead by example, to show them that you can bite off more than you can chew and, and you can um, tackle something that looks either impossible or, or something that you could never accomplish and uh, try it out and um, that teams with smarts and willing to uh, use their brains a little bit can actually do. Okay. in yeah. this, in this sport. You don't have to be, uh, you know, you don't have to be a Kyle Peter.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. um, there's,
2: there's not very many it.
0: of them, fortunately. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, I, and I will say that this, the, the community has been so supportive, mm-hmm. uh, of, of our racing style and, uh, and of us. And I think, um, you know, coming from road racing to trail running to adventure racing, it's it's three different worlds, and that uh, adventure racers are, uh, to a fault, so friendly and nice, um, and um, that we need that in order to grow the sport, and um, I, I think that that's our goal is to, I mean, if we bring more teams in, we won't be finishing as low. That's, that's another true. goal of ours. So. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, but, yeah. yeah, that's our goal. Yeah world needs bad examples too (laughs) but yeah we think we're in a really good place here in new england to get people uh all over this area uh to first and foremost hear about the sport and second give it a shot and um so we're gonna try and spread the word and do more races maybe start a northeast race series here with uh we're talking with jamar about that and uh if you or anyone listening has any ideas um we are all ears um so uh yeah we're eager to to give back and do our part and um would love to hear some some uh good ideas as to how
0: there you go that's you'll uh, you'll hear from people so all right we're going to wrap this up by i got one thing to say and that's raid international Gaspa C. <laughs> oh yeah
1: See,
2: oh I, we love we i know the how race to direct.
0: say it He's awesome. Yeah, yeah, you
1: nailed that. <laughs> when Kate
2: speaks French, can you say it? And can I say go fast, take chances? <laughs> yeah.
1: You can
0: do that. But I got to give a shout out to Natalie Long because she uh, spent about a half a day teaching me how to say that when we were in Ecuador. <laughs> so. yeah. uh-huh. But uh, in this, uh, if you're listening to this, when it first goes up, that's say, I'm going to say hi from Canada. So, because that's where I'll be next week.
2: Nice. We'll yeah. be there in a future year, Randy. We, yeah. That's close to us. So yeah. we got to race that. So,
0: but all right, you can do the closing. We'll say it together. No, you can do it. Okay. (laughs) Go fast, take chances. (laughs) All right, thanks for the conversation, guys. It's been great.
1: Thanks, Thanks, Jenny. (laughs) All right, bye. Bye. Bye.
3: All rise. Here comes the judge.